Hi everyone, my name is Miranda Mao. I am a senior at Wellesley College. Last semester, I ran a campaign for student bursar. During the preparation for the campaign, I discovered some points of financial irregularities at the funding committee at Wellesley College. That's why today I have an industry expert on organizational governance here to clarify on some of those points. Chris, welcome. Hi Miranda, thanks for having me. Uh, a little bit about myself, I'm a CPA and certified fraud examiner. I used to work at one of the big four accounting firms doing financial advisory, audit, and governance work. And since then, I've run my own little practice advising small businesses and startups on accounting, internal controls, and organizational governance. So. Thank you, Chris. Um, last time I ran for student bursar, as many of you remember, there were tons of questions about transparency and effective management. And that led to a broader discussion on financial governance and fiduciary responsibility. Specifically, the questions were about what proper financial governance and fiduciary responsibility should look like. Chris, could you give us a broad overview? <laughs> uh, I'll try my best without boring your listeners to death, but financial and organizational governance are really just the same term used to describe a system of policies, processes, and practices that are you know, used by organizations to ensure that they're transparent about how they do things, are held accountable when they do things, and that they equally represent all the interests of their various stakeholders. And in the context of like a student organization at a college, I'd imagine, manager stakeholders would be like student groups that rely on the funding um, to carry out their activities, vendors that do business with organizations, students that pay fees, um, and students that want to trust in the integrity of their student organizations and want to know that their money is being used effectively. Chris, thank you for the definition. That was great. Could you elaborate more, however, on some key ways entities can implement financial transparency? Well, that really depends on the needs of the organization and stakeholders. But at a minimum, you know, companies, nonprofits, and pretty much any organization where large amounts of resources are at stake will, at a minimum, issue annual reports detailing the amounts of money coming in and you know, the amounts of money going out, where those funds are going, and documenting whatever funds are left over and carried on in future years. Um, annual reports like this provide stakeholders with timely and relevant information that allows them to critique the performance of management, raise concerns about how funding is being allocated and used, and ultimately plan for the future. Um, you know, publishing financial reports like this ultimately force the managers to be transparent and accountable to their stakeholders for their decision making. I agree with you. From personal experiences, publishing annual reports before major deadlines is very conducive to organizational planning and growth. It also seems to be very effective in terms of giving stakeholders time and room to advocate for their needs. So you mentioned earlier that leftover funding does exist. Could you define residual funding and talk about maybe the proper steps um, that should be taken to take care of this residual funding? Um, so residual funding, I think, what you're getting at is whatever's left over at the end of a fiscal year, right? The yeah. excess that's not spent, correct? Um, you know, typically, whatever excess that's left over is stored in a separate custodial account that's you know, segregated from the general funds. And you know, an organization should have detailed policies that are agreed to by stakeholders on how these residual funds are used and when they're accessed. Um, an annual report should, should clearly document these. Um, not only for you know planning purposes, but also to know just how much residual funds are left. Um, but yeah. Great, but okay. Here, here's the question: 
hypothetically, let's say there is a funding committee that has a has a residual fund that's more than a third of its annual budget. What do you think of this situation? Well, I'd say in a situation like this, the priority is to ensure accountability over those funds. You know, to document them, segregate them, and report their status to stakeholders. Um, annual reports should be detailing how much funding is is residual and left over. Um, and that should carry on from year to year. So people have an idea of how much funding is, is uh, left in these residual accounts and whether it's growing or decreasing over time. Um, you know, if there's a large amount of residual funding, stakeholders need to be aware of how much there exactly is and why that money hasn't been spent in a given year to, to, for groups that might have needed it and what plans and policies management might have to use those funds in the future. And if management can't articulate a positive and reasonable vision on how they intend to use those funds or why they're holding them, then stakeholders should be free to critique and counter. I see. Thank you so much for the explanation on transparency, annual reporting, and proper policies surrounding residual funds. These are all topics under proper organizational governance. Could you maybe summarize for us the benefits of just having overarching organizational governance? Yeah, at a high level, a strong system of organizational governance often creates a culture of trust and transparency that makes stakeholders feel confident in the fact that management is acting in their interest and acting in a fair and transparent manner. It also creates checks and balances within the system to ensure that stakeholders, all stakeholders, not just the ones with you know, the most influence or the largest ones, um, are being represented in that process. It also creates efficiencies and effective um, practices by you know, standardizing um, procedures and processes. And you know, by doing so, it helps to provide, prevent biased decision-making and abuse by management by keeping stakeholders informed of the, their important actions. So. When you mentioned abuse just now, what did you mean by that? And specifically, what are some forms of abuse? So unfortunately, in any large complex organization where there are a lot of resources at play, uh, there's just a tendency over time for bad actors to emerge and sometimes exploit the situation uh, by engaging either in biased decision making that you know, comes at the expense of some parties or benefits you know, others, and sometimes outright theft, um, you know, so fraud, you know, it's, it's a very, very common risk. And yeah, I see. So in terms of fraud, what do you think are the fundamental elements required for system to prevent fraud? That's, that's a very big question. And there's a lot, a lot um, of procedures and practices used to kind of counter fraud um, in any organizational setting, but at a high level, you know, the most important thing is creating a culture of transparency and accountability and ensuring that critical financial and operational information is available to stakeholders who can raise concerns about irregularities and other issues that might come up and that they, they identify. Um, and once the above is in place, there are other systems and procedures, you know, accounting, technical things like reconciling accounts, independent audits, whistleblower complaint hotlines, that ensure that people are deterred from engaging in activities that aren't in the best interest of their fiduciaries and, and stakeholders. Um, you know, I'll give you like one example of a very technical, boring accounting control is um, in most organizations, they have systems in place to ensure that nobody has the ability to engage um, in a financial transaction without anyone else in the organization being aware. So, you know, I'll give you, walk you through a standard transaction. Um, in most organizations, they separate who controls the money, who records it, and ultimately who disperses the funds. So there isn't a person who's receiving money 
and then making a journal entry to record that and also sent, you know, giving that money out just because if you give that person, one individual, all that power and nobody is um, able to monitor their actions by also being involved in that transaction, mm -hmm. they have the ability to, let's say, falsify a record or, you know, skim money off the top. By having three people each kind of engage in different parts of that transaction, mm -hmm. you have an audit trail that, um, you know, allows you to trace back what happened if something goes wrong, but also kind of deters anyone um, by removing their ability to kind of conduct um, fraud or theft or anything like that. That makes perfect sense to me. And thank you for talking us through how to prevent fraud. Let's just like come back to the overarching theme a little bit more. Earlier during our conversation, you mentioned stakeholder responsibilities. What came to mind for me personally was that there are a lot of organizations at Wellesley that are not um, historically represented. What is the best way for these groups to receive fair and equitable treatment? <laughs> I think that might be a little bit outside of my subject matter <laughs> expertise as a CPA. We usually tend to stick to the more boring things. <laughs> But Sorry um, about that. <laughs> I, can, I, can, I can say again, I think my main point here is that having a good governance, um, a system of good governance in an organization is really a precondition for all the above. Having a system of internal controls and, and well-documented policies creates trust in institutions um, among stakeholders. And if information about finances and operations is accessible to stakeholders, groups that you know, traditionally might not have had as much of a voice because of their size or their influence or their presence, Will have the tools and data to fight for what they need and hold their leaders to account when they aren't being treated fairly so i agree i, I, I think these are really uh, important points and these points can serve as really good start for what should happen on campus and i think it's really important for us to educate those in power and to create expectations for those who need help in our community and these are also points i am ready to execute if um i am uh, you know, voted into office to be student bursar this year. And Chris, thank you so much for joining us today. It was really great to learn from you. Yeah, thank you. Good luck. <laughs> Thanks.